Joel, come on up. Is it too loud? All right. Well, I've got some good information for you all, some great things to know about. The meadowlarks, you're too young. But the rest of those behind you, most of those are. If you're 55 or older or want to be 55, you can join us. And we've done some great things. We're going uh, the 28th week after this on Tuesday up to the frescoes up in West Jefferson in Jefferson, North Carolina, and, and go by Daniel Boone Inn to eat. If you haven't seen the frescoes, come join us. If you're not on the list, my wife Jean here, she's the one that does all the emails. And then we've got a special party coming. Tony and Julie have just, they're finishing up the swimming pool. And we're going to have a Meadowlarks swim party. The men wear Speedos and the girls have to wear bikinis. <laughs> it's the only way you're allowed to come. So. If you're not 55, you might want to be and come to that. I mean, that could be exciting. Uh, it could also be very embarrassing. <laughs> uh, I want to, uh, I'm going to talk to us about Exodus. We're going to start in Exodus. But before I get started, uh, this is come. This comes. A lot of this I'm going to say comes from my devotional that I read, and I've been using the same one for about 25 years, over and over. It's a monthly, and uh, and I just want to encourage you: if you do not have a devotional life, if you do not have a devotion to uh, every day, find one. I know Lifeway's gone now, and uh, but you can find some online. I use Table Talk. I'll just tell you what I use so you'll know. Table Talk is Ligonier Ministries. It's R.C. Sproul's uh, ministry that I've used uh, all this time, which is good for scripture and then gives you uh, information. My wife uses In Touch from Charles Stanley, uh, daily devotional there. She gets hers a lot online as well as uh, going through. So, but let me encourage you to find a devotional. And I, some of you know, not all of you, but I used to be a Bible salesman. And I was on the road for about 30 years, and I, we had devotionals sometimes. And Craig, I don't know if you ever, I told you I was going to pick on you. When you were at Lifeway, what I would do in, in selling it to the manager, I'd say, uh, here's a new devotional, blah, blah, blah. And I said, uh, and you'd look at it, yeah, yeah. I said, well, look up your birthday. And a lot of times if you looked up your birthday, well, that's pretty good. I think I like it. But that was one way just to get people to look at devotionals. But let me encourage you to do that because you get the devotional with Bible reading to go along with it and start getting grounded in the Word. Because if, if we're not grounded, we're going to, uh, like the rock that was in the picture up here, we won't be grounded on the rock. We'll be on the beach on the sand that shifts everywhere. So uh, do that. I'm starting. I had a question. How did we get to Egypt? How did we get to uh, where the Exodus started? Now, I'm going to go backwards a little bit with us here and just do you a little review. That uh, God had Abraham, I mean, Adam and Eve, they were in the garden 
they sinned, they were cast out, and sin entered the world in, and, and from my viewpoint, we're all sinners. There, nobody's perfect, so we're, all, we're born into sin. David said, I was born in, in my mother's womb in sin. So we're, we're born into sin, and God, though, he's merciful. And as, as he, we go, we have Adam and Eve, then we go on up, and, and the world got wicked. They had Noah, man of righteousness, built the ark. Then when he's gone, he had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, Shem, S-H-E-M. And that's the lineage that the next character we have in there is Abram. Abram was born in Ur. God called him from Ur over to Canaan and and changed his name to Abraham once he believed in God. And he told him, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, multiply you, and a great nation is going to come from you, and you, and all the nations of the world are going to be blessed from you. And you know the story. He didn't believe God at first because Sarah was old, he was old, but God did it. When God says you're going to do something, God does it. So he made a covenant with Abraham. And God's a God-making covenant. When God makes a covenant with, with the people, it, he, he fulfills it. He holds up his end of the bargain. So he made that covenant. Then he has Isaac. Then Jacob. And Jacob's a conniver. He's, he tries every way in the world to fool God, but he, God's got a hold of Jacob. And Jacob wrestles with God, and finally Jacob has, uh, has 12 sons. And do, doing that, God calls him, said, Jacob, you will no longer be called Jacob, but you will be called Israel. So he changes Jacob's name to Israel. And they're up there in, uh, around Canaan, and stuff, or up, they're, they're up above Egypt. And all of a sudden, you know the story of the famine. And Joseph, though, the son, had been sold into slavery by the brothers. So the 11 brothers, except for Benjamin, he wasn't involved. The other, he was sold into slavery. He was put, God, he had to go through several steps, but he was faithful. He trusted God, believed God, God took care of him. And then all of a sudden, Joseph is second in command of Egypt. The Pharaoh loves Joseph. And so he, the problem was they were getting ready to have a famine. And so Joseph interpreted his dreams. He gets out of jail, becomes his second in command. And so his duty was for seven good years, get all the crops you can in in the storehouse so the seven bad years we're going to have food. Well, it was up where Jacob, I mean, Israel was and the brothers that they didn't have the food. So they go down, they hear Egypt has it, they go down, and at the end, Joseph reveals himself to them. And he thought, the brothers thought, he's going to kill us for what we did. He said, listen, what God, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He said, I love you. He wept with them. He says, how's my daddy? Bring my daddy down. That was not in here. That's not in here. So they come down. When they come into Egypt, there's 66 of them. All, that's what a tribe of Israel, there's 66 of them. Joseph is 67. His wife is 68. His two sons are 70. If you know anything about Scripture, 70 was a holy number. So he, there were 70 Israelites that landed in Egypt, and they went to Goshen. The Pharaoh said, give them this land over here. When they left, there were 600,000 men, not counting women and children, and then all the other foreigners that followed them out of Egypt. 
God had told Abraham, said, your family is going to multiply. It's going to get bigger and bigger. And they did. They began to multiply in the land. As a result of it, in uh, Exodus 1, the eighth verse, it says, Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Joseph was in there with the king, Joseph being a foreigner. This new Pharaoh was a true Egyptian. And he tried to eradicate anything to do with anybody from any place else, any other country, because he wanted to be true Egyptian. And so whatever Joseph had done good or any of the other people had done good, he just wiped it off because he didn't want anything to do with it. This was his country. And he wasn't going to let anybody else take, take charge of it. So the Israelites, he's, he puts them into slavery. He says they're getting big. There's a lot of them. So they could overthrow us. They could go with our enemies. We're going to make them work hard. So they begin to uh, put, make them slave drivers, putting bricks, building storehouses and all this stuff all the time. And, but they kept multiplying. They just kept multiplying over and over, and they kept getting bigger. He couldn't stop them. And then in uh, the first chapter, again, I'm going to read you. This is uh, 16... Uh, 15 through 21, then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named uh, Zipporah and the other was named Push. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and let the boys live? And the midwives said to Pyra, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwives can get to them. So the God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. And it was about, came about the midwives feared God, and he established households for them. God looked after these two women because they feared God more than they did Pharaoh. And, and in reading different things, you could say they lied or they, or, the baby, or they were having them so fast, like they said, they couldn't get there to deliver. And I'll tell you this, my wife claimed that as a promise. The first pregnancy she had went on for a little while. And she found this scripture, I don't know who gave it to her, but said that she would go fast. And I guarantee you, she did with Josh, and then John, our last one, uh, she just got there, they took her up, and she was ready to go, they had to pull another lady off and get her in to get John out. I mean, she did that, that promise that, that they were vigorous. And I say they were probably vigorous because they were all working. They all worked hard. But then the next part is where we're going to get into the main character. Uh, and this one is, uh, I've lost my place, and there it is, two. Well, I, I'm going to start up here, uh, the third verse. But when she could hide him no longer with Moses, she, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch and then put the child into the bulrushes. And I'm going to read on down here. And when she'd opened it up, she saw, that this is Pharaoh's daughter, saw the child he was crying he was a boy and she had only had pity on him and said this is one of the hebrew children then his sister said to pharaoh's daughter 
shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said, go, go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away, nurse him for me, and I shall give you your wages. So the women took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses, and said, because I drew him out of the water. God had his providential hand on Pharaoh, I mean on Moses, before he was born. He knew what was going to happen. God had <clears throat> Miriam, who was his younger sister, take him, I mean older sister, take him, put him in the bulrushes, listened to her mother, and waited there for Pharaoh's daughter. Moses' daddy was a Levite. He was a priest. That made the lineage, that made Moses a priest. It also made Aaron, his brother of three years older, a priest. But Moses was the one that God chose to, to be the leader of the children of Israel. And what is the mother took her, took Moses, nursed him. Now, you know what he, she did. As he grew, she was still in there. She could say he's not weaned, whatever. She, would, she taught him about his heritage. That, look, you're an Israelite, but you're going to be in Pharaoh's court. You're going to be in Pharaoh's house up there, but you're our, you're our kid. And this Yahweh, this God who brought us here, he's going to deliver us one day. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we're looking for him to come send someone to be a deliverer. And I just want you to know that to remember who you are. Remember what, who you, what you represent. I mean, Mom and Daddy, I think, at times when I'd go out and said, just remember who you are. Sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. And I just did that and got in trouble. Uh, but then it goes on from right there. Moses goes back in. He's taught all the stuff that the Egyptians could teach him. He was in their schools. He was in their, in, in their palaces. Moses learned to write. That's where he learned the ability to write because he wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, that he could do that. And he had a mind that he could remember to write down everything, and he didn't leave anything out. He, left, he put anything, everything that made him look bad too because there's things that he did that were, were not good. But he, he was able to write down what God told him to in all the books back in there. And what I'm doing, I'm just building up to a point tonight, and then I'm quitting. You understand? <coughs> uh, the next thing Moses does, he's out there. He goes out to see his brothers. And I imagine probably that he at times would go talk to the Israelites, just how are you doing? What are you, how are you getting along? But then all of a sudden, he saw one of his Israelite brothers being hurt and being mistreated by an Egyptian. And when nobody else is looking, he kills him and buries him. Well, you know, you can't cover sin up. You can't cover anything. He wasn't God's anointed right now to go in to lead him away, but God's, God's got his hand on Moses. So the next day, he goes back out, and the two Israelites quarreling, he says, what are you going to do, kill one of us like you did the Egyptian? So he knew right then he had to leave because it was the uh, Pharaoh, the king, found out about it, and he was after his life. And so 
I want to, I'm going to go back, I'm backing up one minute. God had a, uh, God's got a sense of humor. And part of that sense of humor was that the Egyptians hated the Israelites. The deliverer grew up in the Egyptian palace and they, all of that and came back and got them out. That God was, God knows what he's doing and I'm backing up another time. I shouldn't be doing this, but I am. I'm going back to the midwives. God blessed them with families, he said. He looked after them and took care of them. And I heard a story this week about J.C. Penney. And J.C. Penney was a son of a preacher. And it was he and his mother, and uh, his father died. This was years ago. They didn't have much money. And so J.C. Penney said, he would go out and get clothes, bring them back in, and his mother would wash them, and that's how they survived. He made up his mind, told the Lord, if I ever make money, I'm going to take care of preachers with us as, and their families if I, as long as I can. So when he uh, got older and it started J.C. Penney's, he did that. He built a home in Florida, J.C. Penney's, for widows who did not have the money or anything to take care of them. He started that. And another thing J.C. Penney used to do, he had his offices there in New York, and he would get off of uh, lunchtime. He'd leave his office at lunchtime, go down to the Bowery or Hale's Kitchen, and he would help feed the hungry, feed the poor down there and talk to them. But he was a man who looked after the widows and took care of them. And I'll give you something else that's free. During the Depression, the soup lines up in New York City. You had long soup lines up there. And all these men who'd worked on Wall Street had all these jobs. They were in line. And there was this Christian man inside. He was going to ask to do a survey. So he goes to survey this long line of men, and he asked them, when you were working, did you tithe to the Lord? And you know how many of them said yes in that whole line? None. You know what? There's something in there about giving to the Lord. The Lord looked after you. You won't see his seed out begging for bread. If you give unto the Lord, you're good. And that was, I'm not trying to take up an offering. So I'm just, that's just some extra information. <coughs> uh, then we're going to go over here to chapter 3. And this is where Moses has gone to Midian. He leaves, he flees, he goes to Midian, meets these uh, daughters of uh, Jethro, the, the He's a priest of Midian, and they end up bringing him back. He marries one and has two kids, and he was 40 years when he left Egypt. He's been up here 40 years tending sheep. He doesn't look like an Egyptian anymore. When they got there, he said an Egyptian did it. The Egyptians dressed different from the way the Israelites did. So he, he's there watching, and all of a sudden you have the burning bush. And all, he turns around and looks at it and starts to come closer to see what it is, and then God says, do not come any clo closer because you're on holy ground. And he says, bows, he did not, he, God wasn't saying that ground soil is, but says, my presence is holy. In my presence is holy, and you're to come, you come in here. And he said he couldn't look at God because he knew he wasn't holy. He had to turn away from him. If you remember later when he wanted to attend the commandments, he wanted to see the face of God, said, uh-uh. You can see the backside of him, but you're not going to see, you're not going to look into my face. So he was there, and God said, Moses, I'm going, you're going, 
I'm going to send you to the sons of Israel. They've been crying. They've been hurting. I hear their cry for help, and I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to send you down there to uh, deliver them. You're going to go, and I'm going to perform my signs and miracles to take them out. I'm going to show off because I'm God, and I've heard their cry. They're my people. They're my firstborn son. Israel is my firstborn son, and I want my son out of Egypt. So Moses, he, God tells him this. Then he goes up and says, well, look, if I go down there, who in the world am I going to say you are? And he says, uh, he says, what is your name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am. God gave Moses his name. Up until that time, it was just Yahweh. He never told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob his name, but when he got to Moses, he says, my name is I am who I am. You tell them that I am sent you here. Well, Moses is still, Moses is saying, Lord, why me? Why are you going to do something with me? He said, Moses, I'm going to be with you. God wasn't concerned about his own uh, ability. He knew what he was going to do. He knew everything that was going to happen before it happened. He wanted Moses in on the deal. He wanted Moses uh, all in. So he keeps talking to Moses, and Moses says, well, okay, I'll do it. But then he starts questioning other things. Now, if I get down there, what are they going to say? I'm just going to say, well, the God of your fathers told me to come, and I am uh, is his name, and I'm here. What happens if they don't believe me? He says, Moses, what do you got in your hand? What's that staff you got? It's my staff. Throw it on the ground. Throws it on the ground, becomes a serpent. Moses backs up, and God says, pick it up by the tail. Moses, stick your hand into your garment. He sticks his hand in there, and it comes out leprosy. He says, stick it back in. He sticks it back in, and it comes out clean. He says, I'll show these signs to them. And I'm going to tell them all that. I want you to tell them everything there. And you're going to uh, go. Well, there's a little discussion here about Moses talking, about him not wanting to. He's a little, uh, he says, I can't talk. I can't do this. I can't do that. Finally, God said, look, your brother Aaron, tired of you whining. You're going to take him. He's going to be your spokesman. I'm going to be like a god to Pharaoh, and he's going to be your prophet. And whatever I tell you, you tell Aaron and tell Pharaoh. And that's what we're going to do. So Moses goes back to Jethro, goes back in and says, Jethro, this is what the Lord has told me to do. So Jethro says, go. go. Well, he goes, and coming out to meet him is his brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron. And they meet before they go into the camp. And, and he begins to tell Aaron everything that God has told him. So they go, and they meet the Israelites. And they're all in. All of a sudden, they're all in the deal. Here comes this guy. He's going to deliver him. He's going to go to Pharaoh. He's going to get things done. Well, it doesn't work that way. They go back. Pharaoh begins to, when uh, Moses goes in there, Pharaoh begins to work them harder. Say, look, we're not going to give you hay and straw for bricks. You find it, same quotas, even more. You keep working. And what happens? They come back in. They can't wait. They send, they, like their foremans, they send them into Pharaoh and said, why are you doing this to us? We can't do all that brickwork. 
And you, you're taking it all away. Why are you doing it? He says, because you're lazy. You Israelites are lazy. So they go back, and they're waiting. Aaron and uh, Moses are waiting on them. And they come back, and they say, why did you do that? We don't want anything to do with you. They were fed up with him. That Moses and Aaron, because everything, they told them, first of all, deliverance, and then things went sideways, and they were upset. Then uh, Moses has a pity party. In uh, 5, 22 through uh, 23, it says, Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why hast thou brought harm to this people? Why, why didst thou ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh and to speak in thy name, he has done harm to the people, and thou hast not delivered thy people at all. Things got hard. Moses is, Lord, why me? Why did you pick me to do this job? Nobody's listening to me. Everybody's mad. I got a whole nation over here mad at me now because they're working hard. Why did you pick me? And then the next verse, it, and this might be the end tonight. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for under compulsion he shall let them go, and under compulsion he shall drive them out of the land. God says, Moses, you're getting ready to see something you've never seen. Your brethren's getting ready to see something they've never seen. You're going to know that I am really all-powerful, all-knowing, and there's none like me, that I am God of this universe. You're going to see my character work, and I'm going to preserve my people. My presence is going to be with you, Moses, when you go in to see Pharaoh, you and Aaron. My presence is not going to leave you. My presence is always with you. I've told you I am God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm your God, and you're going to, and I will never leave you. So Moses, go. You're, you're going to see some things that take place. And I'm going to stop there, Kenna, because I had some things up here. If you want to put those up just a minute, I had God's character, God's presence, man's sinfulness, not sinfulness, it's uh, sinfulness. That's going to be sinful. Uh, but we are sinful too, so I reckon that works out pretty good. That's even better. God's judgment and God's mercy. Uh, you're going to see that if you read Exodus, you see all of that in there. God's character, God's presence, man's sinfulness and, and sinfulness, God's judgment on it and God's mercy. He has mercy on who he has mercy and judgment on who he's going to have judgment on. And you're going to see that all the way through the book of Exodus as Moses begins to go forward. And remember, he's the lawgiver. When you get over into Leviticus, I mean, the 19th, the 20th chapter of Exodus, you're going to start seeing the laws being given. And, he, and then you're going to see Moses develop from being a, the, the Godhead figure. In what, he's going to become the intercessor. And who's our intercessor in the New Testament but Jesus Christ? You're going to see that Moses instituted, or God instituted through Moses, the Passover. And who was the Passover lamb? Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament correlates to the New. God put it all together to there, and as you go back and forth, and like I said, sometimes you get a good devotional and you get something reading, you'll find some things that fit together all the way around. And I was going to leave... Uh, close on this uh, 
scripture. I told Tom Foster I'd only be 15 minutes, and he gave me $10. And uh, so uh, he might want it back. Uh, have you ever, and this time I'm going to close, have you ever, uh, you think you're serving the Lord, you're doing everything you know to do, you be, you've done all you can do, but you just don't feel the presence of the Lord maybe like you had before, or you just, you feel like you're out in the wilderness, say for a week or two, and you, and you, and your heart's kind of crying out, Lord, show me something. I mean, I'm just feeling lonely. Well, I've been there, and uh, it was when uh, I traveled, and I remember talking to the Lord because He and I had some good talks. And I said, I just don't feel Your presence. I'm doing the devotionals. I'm doing everything, my prayers. I don't understand what's going on. And it was, uh, and I was over in Clemens, North Carolina, and I remember I got in late to the hotel. I parked in the back. And uh, <clears throat> next morning, I, my routine was get up, get coffee, and walk. I don't run, Danny. I walk. I had to fill out a report last week for a <laughs> survey. They had three things on running, and I told the lady, I don't run. And so that was, I didn't have to do that. But uh, I got up the next morning, and I started out the back door, and I, there was a uh, wrecker pulling this car off. And I thought, well, okay, boy, I hate to be over here and get stuck. Well, I did my walk, and I was coming back, and I noticed the car right next to me, the tires were all flat. I go inside, and I told the guy, I said, boy, the guy's next to me, tires are all flat. He said, oh, yeah. I said, uh, uh, the guy was up here at the bar, got mad at his wife, and, and cut up tires back there in the back I said well mine weren't I said oh well I didn't do it praise the Lord I was so happy and that might seem crazy but all of a sudden the Lord said you know I'm watching over you I'm looking after you even though you don't think I'm around I'm here and I can look after you when you don't think it's there so his presence never leaves us Hebrews 13 5 B and I think it's up there it's the last part he himself, I got a confession. I didn't give them this stuff until just five minutes before walking in, so we didn't get it. So I'll read, I'm going to read mine. It says, he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, forever. So he's always there. He's like that rock. He's, gonna, he's always there. And so I want, Craig, who's speaking next week? Uh-huh. Okay. I might come back if y'all let me sometime and fi- pick this up from 10-1. I never asked nobody to do that before, but uh, I'll just do it. <laughs> if there's no tomatoes, that, that's good. But uh, don't forget that. God's presence is with us wherever we go. Even when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, a mediator. We go back to him and ask Jesus, forgive us our sins and restore our joy. And, and that presence will always be there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Lord, your word is there for teaching, reproof, encouragement. Help us, Lord, to dig into it and allow your Holy Spirit to work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.